I work at a hospital where the chaplains do their best to treat all people with empathy and respect, regardless of their spiritual beliefs. I think we live up to this standard. I happen to be the only chaplain who's a reverend, and although Christianity is supposed to be in sharp decline in the United States, it is extremely common for a patient or a family member to ask me to pray with them or for them. Still, when I walk into a room, I wait for that person I'm serving to indicate what their beliefs are. The conversation is about them. It's not about me. One day, I had a referral to see a couple of patients. One was a woman who had suffered very major orthopedic injuries in an accident, on a motorcycle, I think. When I walked into her room, she was sitting up against a pillow, her eyes closed, her chin on her chest. There was a series of screws sticking out of her leg, with two metal rods running up the sides of her leg, connected to the screws. She looked up at me somewhat sleepily. I guessed that she had been given a lot of badly needed pain medication. Our eyes met. With a smile, I began my usual intro. Hi, my name's Buzz. I'm a chaplain and... I didn't get any more words out. She literally leapt up and standing on her one good leg, pressed her back up against the wall behind the bed. She stood there, looking half scared, half irate. I don't want any proselytizing, she shouted at me. I lifted my hands up and I immediately told her that I wasn't there to talk religion, that this was a community hospital and we serve all people. I asked her to please get back in the bed that I didn't want her to hurt herself. I told her that I was going to get some help and have someone look at her leg to make sure she was okay. Then she closed her eyes for a moment, and she looked a little embarrassed. She asked me to not get anyone that she was sure she had not hurt herself. She opened her eyes, and she returned to her sitting position on the bed. She said in a sharp voice, without looking directly at me, that she didn't need any chaplain help. I told her that I was sorry that I had startled her. I said that we never talk religion to someone unless they start talking about it first. She nodded, but she didn't seem to believe me. It took me about five minutes to convince her that I was sincere, that I was just there to see how she was doing. Then... Once she was sitting back down on her bed and only eyeing me half suspiciously, I asked her if she was agnostic. Atheist, she corrected me. I didn't know why she was so upset at the thought of a Christian coming into her room. I told her that it was her room and that she had every right to control who went in there. I didn't turn to leave, though. I asked her about being an atheist, what it meant to her. She was quite happy to tell me why she thought God was a myth. I found myself engaged in a serious conversation with her. About a half hour later, 
I had been told about the terrible experience she once had as a child in a Christian church. In sixth grade, she was berated and humiliated by a Sunday school teacher because she was a late reader and could not read out loud the assigned Bible passage. She said that the volunteer teacher, the mother of a friend of hers, had told her that God would not be very happy with her if she couldn't even read a paragraph out of the Gospel of Matthew. I told her that I had failed art, handwriting, and spelling in sixth grade. She laughed at this. I said that all of us have things we don't do well at, or that we're not ready for, or that might take a lot of work for us to master. I told her that I was lucky that in high school, art was not required, and handwriting and spelling were not taught. I said that a true Christian knew that not being able to do something's not a sin, and in fact the person who did wrong was her Sunday school teacher. That person should have reacted with compassion and perhaps should have offered to help her with her reading. With tearful eyes, this woman said that she hadn't even realized how deeply she had been holding that old, painful memory and that the word chaplain had somehow brought it out. I told her that I was honored to be able to talk to her about that incident in Sunday school so long ago. She thanked me for my visit, and I left. Then I cleaned my hands at the dispenser outside her room, and I walked to the room two doors down. I pulled my N95 mask out of a paper bag I had been carrying, and I put it on over my surgical mask. I reached into the wheeled stand that had been placed outside the room. I put on gloves and a paper gown. Once again, I introduced myself as a chaplain. While the woman I had just seen was maybe 50 years old, this man was quite young, maybe 25. He was tall, but emaciated. I gave him my opening pitch, and this time I was able to finish it. Hi, my name's Buzz. I'm a chaplain, and I'm here to see how you're doing. He smiled a bit sadly and nodded. I pulled up a chair and sat close to him. He was sitting up in bed with white blankets on him. I recognized them as the blankets that come out of the nurse's warming station. He had probably been cold despite the fact that the room was rather warm. He spoke. What kind of chaplain are you? I was used to this question. This is a community hospital and we serve all people. But in the outside world, I'm a Methodist reverend. He nodded. He said, I'm not anything. My parents didn't go to church, but my mother was raised Catholic, and my father went to a bunch of different Protestant churches as a kid. I told him that I was raised Catholic, that I went to Catholic schools all the way through 12th grade, and that the sisters who taught me were very good to me, and that I had fond memories of grammar school. I deliberately chatted with him about nothing for a couple more minutes letting him relax and get used to my presence. Then he said, Do you know why I'm in the hospital? I told him that yes, I knew that he was a cancer patient and that he was going through chemo treatments. 
and that this was why I had my N95 gloves and gown on. I didn't want to expose him to anything. He nodded at that. He said that he first got the news that he had cancer a few months before and that it hadn't scared him. But it wasn't until he checked into the hospital for his chemo that it really hit him. They didn't know if they could knock his cancer down, he told me, because while they had caught it early, it was a cancer that tended to spread quickly. I knew from reading his chart that they had not found any evidence of metastasized tumors yet. I told him that the staff would do everything they could to help him. He nodded again. I noticed that every time he nodded, his head wobbled a bit from side to side, like the nod that people in India tend to give you, the one that seems ambiguous to foreigners. Does it mean yes or no or I'm not sure? Then he said he wanted to know if I would do something for him. I said, sure, I'll get back to this. Paul, the great evangelist and the author of much of the New Testament, tended to establish a church, then move on and leave that church in the hands of a chosen pastor. He would then start another church elsewhere. The only church to which he wrote a letter, but did not himself found, was the church in Rome. He would keep in touch, though, with the churches he had left via letters. Thus, we were left with a beautiful library of letters authored by him. The two letters addressed to the church in Corinth are two of the most frequently referenced letters in the New Testament. He had a good reason to be writing letters to this church. From its very beginning, it was a troubled church. There was division. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is trying to straighten that church out. Corinth no longer exists as an inhabited city, but its remnants are about 50 miles west of Athens. It was located on a commercially valuable spot between two port cities on a five-mile-wide isthmus. By moving goods between these two port cities, via Corinth, there was no need to sail around the dangerous seas that surround Greece. It had a population of about 30,000. But like successful cities today, there was a great separation of wealth. Most of the population was quite poor, while some were quite wealthy. Paul was first in Corinth during his second missionary trip, and he stayed for about a year and a half. The church met in private homes and might have had 20 to 100 members. The church was made up mostly of Gentiles with a sprinkling of Jews, and most of them were quite poor, with a few rich members. The purpose of this letter is twofold. First, to uh, get the members to quit fighting over leadership issues, and second, to instead worry about what's best for the people of the church. Here's an abbreviated passage from chapter 9. For though I am free from all 
I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul is arguing here that they should follow his lead by adapting their behavior and altering their own desires to better serve the wide variety of people in the Corinth church. He talks about how he will be a Jew if he needs to serve a Jew, but he will become as one not under the law, meaning that as a follower of Christ, a non-Jew doesn't have to follow the intricate Jewish law. He will even become weak to connect with a weak person. It's not obvious what Paul meant by this last part, but just as he could be both a Jew and a non-Jew, given that he was at one time very much a fervent Jew, he could also be someone who was weak in some ways and strong in other ways. What this all means is that Paul could draw on his background, his beliefs, his experiences, to adapt to the needs of whomever he was trying to reach. To bring people to the faith, he was willing to bend. He did not meet people halfway. He met them where they were. There's one line in this passage that has impacted me greatly. It says this, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. This is the heart of my philosophy as a hospital chaplain and as a pastor. I think it should be at the heart of every believer who's trying to serve people by serving God's people. After I asked that young man with cancer what I could do for him, he said, Please pray for me, not just now, but for the next six weeks. That's how long I'm getting chemo. I know it's a lot to ask, but could you do it, please? I told him that I'd be happy to do that. I said I would put his initials in my calendar and have a message pop up every day on my phone to remind me to say a prayer for him. Then he asked me if I thought that my prayers would do any good. I said, yes, absolutely. Then I told him that I knew that he wasn't a Christian, that he wasn't a church person, and that this is just fine, but did he ever pray? He said no. Then he shook his head, and again, the lack of control that he had when moving his head made it look almost like he was nodding or perhaps saying that he didn't know. I told him that my hunch was that consciously, he wasn't praying, but that maybe there was a part of him, deep down inside, that was indeed praying. Maybe he believed, or maybe he wanted to believe, I said. He said that he did, from time to time, wonder if there was a God, 
I told him that Christians believe there's something inside every person, even if they don't know it, and it's called grace. It's something that God gives every human, and it does not have to be earned. The word grace, I told him in the New Testament, appears about 150 times. The New Testament is written in Greek, I said, and the word for grace is shari. He smiled as I told him that I believe that shari was already inside him, that it is God's blessing, God's reminder of God's presence. Grace, I said, pulls us toward God, and grace keeps us optimistic about life and empathetic toward other people, even in a world that's filled with violence and hatred and anger. I then took his hands in mine and I prayed for healing for a completely successful series of chemo treatments, for a return to full health, and for a long, joyful life. He then grew sleepy. I stayed until he was deeply asleep, and then I left. I did indeed pray for him for six weeks, and I visited him several more times while he was in the hospital getting his chemo treatments. When he was discharged, things looked pretty good. We can all be chaplains. We can treat the people we meet in a way that reflects the grace of God within us. But we do not make people become what we need. That's not how we win them over. We do not make them even meet us halfway. We keep our values, we keep our beliefs, but we become what that person needs. It will never demand that we deny our faith. There is always a way to transform ourselves in the moment to become a citizen chaplain while still honoring the truth that we are all made in the image of God. The goal is to serve God's people by being adaptable and accepting, and we never have to be false. (laughs) 